to the P40 Podcast. I'm Shereen Vishmaya in San Francisco, California. And this podcast is dedicated to all things I love, including Jungian psychology, astrology, metaphysics, magic, and alchemy, just to name a few. And each month I sit down with someone I am inspired by and who I feel is really embodying the current collective archetype of the moment that I'm at least tapping into. And so this month, as we're gearing up for a Mercury retrograde in Aries, there was this magical synchronicity that happened when I landed back in California from a recent pilgrimage to India that I I started off 2018, basically spent the first two months of in uh, first two months of the year in India and came back and discovered a package with a book called The Hermetica Triptica, The Mercury Elemental Year by Gary P. Caton, who's a um, fellow archetypal astrologer and colleague of mine who's actually been a participant in many Project 40s and um, I feel really gets my work. And since his specialty is on Mercury retrogrades, I decided the synchronicity to collaborate, which we had talked about doing many years ago, uh, for a Mercury retrograde. This one being that the next Mercury retrograde not only falls on the vernal equinox, which is when we'll be starting the next Project 40, but it's in the sign of Aries, which is also Gary's sun and Mercury sign. So I feel he is a perfect spokesperson for this Mercury energy. And in this podcast, we sit down to discuss potential Mercury retrograde and Aries themes, including um, some of my some of my favorite Aries, uh, Sun and Aries uh, iconic figures such as Joseph Campbell and the artist Vincent Van Gogh, and we also get into the hero's journey and some other mythology. Uh, as it applies to the individuation process and the collective unconscious. So please take a listen, and we welcome your feedback and comments, and please share as widely as possible to anyone you feel will benefit from the work. And uh, thank you so much for listening. All right, we are live, and I am so excited to be sitting with, well, I always say sitting, it feels like we're in the same room, even though we're computer to computer, um, with my, well, it feels like a long-term friend and colleague and collaborator now. We've been, it feels like we've been friends forever. Yeah, I know. It seems like I haven't seen you in forever. I know. When was the last time we saw each other? Was it in, was it? The aye, aye, aye. I can't even remember now. It might be um, New Orleans. Yeah, maybe. It no. might be that long. Crazy, right? Well, yeah, and we'll see each other, I guess, the next UAC. Yep. Oh, that's crazy. I know we've had so many failed attempts to try to... Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Chicago in May. Yep. Like 90 days. Is it not? It seems so far away. And now... (laughs) It's almost time to buy plane tickets, man. Oh, you're right. You're right. I got to get on that. (laughs) 
because it always seems like it's just like a, a year away and now it's here it's crazy right when you first start applying for it it's like two and a half years away or whatever and you're like oh yeah you know it's kind of like when you're young and you think about being old you know like when you're 30 or something and you're old and you know <laughs> i know you never get there that's the scary part and then you're like oh whoa i'm like already at the i'm entering the midpoint of my life oh my god <laughs> yeah death is coming um i know it's just it's time is crazy i just in you know we just finished up this project 40 um with saturn so i've been thinking so much about mm -hmm. time and death and Mm. to go out of order with the planets but i had to do saturn at the start of the year with all that capricorn energy totally and um now with i really feel mercury's calling with this upcoming mercury retrograde and i just have to tell everyone the synchronicity about how perfect it is that this all came together with us and and, and how we both realized that we gary and i didn't decide to do this project 40 with mercury the planets pretty much decided we would do it and right now <laughs> <laughs> which is what usually happens you know we might think we have a plan because you know i was trying to do the mercury p40 like a long time ago and it just it wasn't yeah we talked about doing one a long time ago ages ago and it just never was the right time and then i got back from india and the first package on my desk was this beautiful book called the hermetica triptica is that, is that how you pronounce it mm-hmm the Mercury elemental year. And I was like, that's a sign. And then I looked and I was like, the Mercury retrograde is coming. And what sign is it in? Aries. Aries. Who, who has, who's Mr. Aries with all the planets <laughs> and the Mercury person. Yeah. So the combination, and, I was like, okay, hello. And yeah. And you know, what's crazy about it that I haven't shared with you yet on my end is that I was thinking about going um, somewhere during that time for another astrology event. Hmm. Um, and I ended up like not being able to and having to turn it down. And so, the, and so it just so happened that I had created an opening recently and you were like, Hey, you know, you want to do it? And I was like, yes. I know. Like, <laughs> I know it's the last minute, but when I saw your book, I just knew it was faded. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's crazy how stuff like that works out. Yeah. Because I was like, well, maybe I'll take a break or we'll do one later. Or, you know, like, cause there's always a few, there's always another Mercury retrograde around the corner, but then when I saw that it, the book was there and it was going to be in Aries, I was like, and it, and then when we decided we could start it on the vernal equinox, which is so close to this retrograde, I was like, well, that's mm -hmm. like, what an opportunity to work with Mercury and Aries. Yeah, that. how perfect, right? It's just, yeah, it's very powerful, very powerful rebirth time. And you know, Shereen, you were a huge inspiration for how I've done this book, like, the, like, I acknowledge, you know, certain people in the front of the book who um, were like direct inspiration in like in like the way that I mirrored their astrology stuff. But I mean, you working with you in in P40s for years now really challenged me to like understand um, Jungian thought better. And I've got like a whole section of my library now that's dedicated just to Jung. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. And, um, and also just the idea that, um, that you can purposefully, you know, go into these, what are thought of as super challenging periods and purposefully dive into it mm -hmm. with the, with the thought of like getting something good out of it. I mean, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, this whole Project 40 has been a real inspiration for me in that regard. And so the like nothing specific that I can say, well, you know, here's where Shireen, you know, had her place. And this, this <laughs> sentence in the book is from Shireen. It's not like you get a footnote or anything, but um, just the general, your general attitude and approach, it was like really actually affirming for me because, you know, I spend a lot of time with the um, classical people and whatnot. And it's kind of challenging because they have such a different outlook. Mm-hmm. And to kind of come back home to where I started with the psychological astrology and to connect with you was like really reaffirming for me, like, yeah, you really are doing something cool, dude. Like there's other people that think like you and just keep with it and stuff. Oh, I love that. Great. Yeah. And I think because you have done Project 40 journeys, you've done a few of them too. Mm -hmm. And because you also love alchemy. Yeah such a good mix. I think that's kind of what brought us together in the first place. And mm-hmm. the first time I met you was in Asheville. Right. Talking about, I think I was talking about archetypes and that. Yes, you were. Yes, talk. you were. Back in the day. So that was our first meeting. And then, um, and then I think, what was your first, what was the first project for you did? Do you remember the theme? Hmm. Let's see. Ah, the theme. You mean like the name or the theme? Yeah. Oh, geez. It was so long ago. I know it was like back in like. It was like back when we were still doing the Tumblr thing and all that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I don't remember the name or the theme, but it was, um, and I don't even remember how exactly it happened. Do you? I think it might've been Mercury, come to think of it. I swear, I actually think it might've been a Mercury one. It could have easily been, yeah. I, I, kind of I remember I posted a picture of Mercury, so maybe it was. Yes, I feel like the first one was in, I want to say it was in 2012. Um, that sounds about right. Or 2013, maybe it was in, maybe it was in early 2013. And that's, that's, yeah, that's exactly a Mercury cycle ago, pretty yeah. much. You know, so. Yeah, that we have to, we'll have to look. But, um, I mean, the timing is always divine timing, so... Here we are, and we, and we were just kind of talking before we started recording about we both share a love of Joseph Campbell, who's an Aries, and even though we're not quite in the shadow of this retrograde, Mercury retrograde coming up on the, it starts on the 22nd, of, or is it the 22nd, I believe, right? Officially. Mm-hmm. March. Yeah. Um, we're not quite in the shadow. I think the shadow is like around the 6th of March or something like that, right? don't have it right in my... Yeah, I'm not even thinking about those shadow things anymore, because to me, as soon as we get in the period when the Mercury retrogrades are all happening in fire signs, yes. for like that whole time, the fire signs are active for me. So it's like, it's like a year and a half where the fire signs are stirred up. Oh, that's cool. You know, and so, um, and so, yeah, of course, you know, Joseph Campbell, Aries, you know, and the, and the upcoming retrograde is going to be in there. And, and like you said, and I didn't even know this. Um, you said that a bunch of his lectures are now available for free on Spotify, right? Yeah. I just got the, the, I can't remember if I was an email or something on Facebook. How cool is that? I, I, yeah. Last night I was like, I fell asleep listening, trying to listen to all of them. They're kind of, some of them are cut up. I can't quite figure it out. And I'm trying to figure out if it's just like kind of an advertisement to get the full thing, but there's still so many jewels on there. So many gems and it's making me want to go and get the full, like, this is very retrograde. I want to go and get the full collection and just listen to everything. 
<laughs> right. Like, I haven't even watched those Bill Moyers interviews in ages. It would be nice to go back and revisit those too. I love those those videos. Yeah, to me, that Bill Moyers in, series of interviews with him was very much like um, Jung's Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. And it yeah. happened in similar parts of their lives. So interesting. You're right. You're right. So it's like a, it's like a summation of their life's work, you know? Yeah. And I know it's so cool. I wish somebody had interviewed Jung during that time. It's nice to read or to hear the audio of uh, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. I guess that's the closest we can get to an interview. <laughs> Trying to get mm -hmm. But there's that um, actually in, also in um, Man's Search for Meaning, there's some really nice, actually there's some videos online on YouTube where people are reading chapters from that that's also really nice to listen. There's something about listening. I love listening to mm -hmm. reading it even if it's my Saturn in Taurus, but yeah. So it's, it's so nice to like, it, it's not Jung's voice obviously in that, but it's so nice to hear somebody reading his words. Yeah, yeah, there's something about hearing it with the voice, the tonal inflections and everything that humanizes it, that brings it to life in a way that, um, you know, for whatever, you know, people talk about that, you know, for instance, doing phone readings, which is mostly what I do, or Skype or mm -hmm. Zoom or whatever, they talk about like you miss out on some of the body language and stuff without the visuals, but at the same time, it's still a huge leap from you yeah. know like you know reading like you said there's a there's a there's a big um i think people can just they get a feeling from the the voice you know and i think that's a huge part of why my podcast has been successful is oh, that yeah. um you know i'm a feeling person like all the way you know <laughs> and uh and so you know it's like what I have to say is is probably only half as important as how I say it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, to hear to hear the voice, and I I just wanted to add that actually from a psychoanalytic perspective, at least my this is my in my humble opinion perspective because it's just my own direct experience. I find that doing readings and especially sessions, psychoanalytic sessions, um, without the video is more powerful because it's a deeper level of listening. I believe, I mean, when you're not actually in person, I, I in person would be my first. Right, well, isn't that why the analyst always sits behind or out of that's view right. of the? That's what I was gonna say. I mean, that's more Freudian, Jungian, don't do mm -hmm. that. But I can see the benefit in that. I mean, that is an interesting, which I, because I wasn't trained as a Freudian, I never did that, but having moved, you know, into this age of doing most things remote, mm -hmm. um, a lot of, most of my sessions are now, on the phone and mm -hmm. what the thing is or audio i mean it's, it's sometimes a computer but it's always audio like exactly yeah. what, exactly what we're doing um but i have to say like the people that start off wanting to do the video every honestly they've all converted to almost all maybe with the exception of a couple people but those people i usually see in person as well so they prefer it since they're used to seeing me in person but people that i've only worked with online prefer most of them prefer the the audio because they feel like they they can concentrate more deeply mm -hmm. on internally and not have that interruption or distraction of the persona of trying yeah yeah it's kind of nice maybe at first to say hi and see a smiling face and and that stuff and feel that warm you know mm -hmm. kind of um feedback and stuff but yeah after a while it could get distracting because like you know 
if I have to scratch my nose or, you know, whatever. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. Or trying to like realize, yeah, the self-consciousness isn't there at all, I think. And not having to focus on, especially nowadays with the video, because you can always see your own video too, which is distracting. Yeah, it is. It can be very distracting. And then you get these ones where there's like 30 people on there and there's 30 different videos to watch all at the same time. Oh, like the Zoom conferences? Yeah, we've tried that. We did. We've reverted to um, the chatting. In the, the last Project 40, we, we experimented with that a little bit, but we ended up in the bigger groups doing um, the chat function. Cool. Mostly. Yeah. We're taking turns with, the, turns with the video because it's too much with everybody bouncing around. I wish there was a way to do it where it can feel like we're all just in the same room, but without it being so distracting. With I know. It's kind of weird, but, you know, at the same time, you got to love it that, you know, we're on opposite sides of the coast right now and we're talking live. Yes, no, that, so. that is definitely the gift of it. And I, I'm so grateful for that part of it. And, and yeah, that we can do things from all over the world now and stay connected. So it's definitely more pro than con for sure. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, and we're talking about Mercury, so it is about communication. That's we, we've had a lot of changes in communication and that's interesting to think about how this retrograde in Aries might bring up those kind of discussions since Aries is such a in-your-face primal sign uh -huh. yeah. Talking about yeah. versus Taurus which might be more the voice so it's like it'd be interesting to see if we're craving during the Mercury retrograde in Aries more of a visceral physical form of communication mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think that uh, I think that you know the idea of just being able to just mm, sort of truly authentically communicate um you know aries gets a rap for being you know really impulsive which we are mm -hmm. um but i think that underneath and and being kind of combative which we are you know i was joking with you when we were texting about this and we were talking about you know, Mercury retrograde in Aries, I was like, hey, Shireen, what's the first thing a ram does before it gets ready to butt the other ram? And you were like, I don't know, back up? They have to back up to like get their bearings and they, they both like mutually back up and then they kind of rear up and yeah. bam, you know. Yeah. But underneath that combativeness and that impulsiveness, I think it's just a, a really strong desire for authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that at, at all costs, you know, that it's it's a primal desire to to individuate really, to to be um to separate from the, the only person that I've ever seen get it really this particular part of Aries that I'm talking about to really get it was Rudjar. Mm. And he, he was talking about, I think it's in that one, um, the pulse of life. Mm. And he's talking about, look in, in Aries, the, the day and night force are about equal to like they are in Libra. Interesting. But in, but in Aries, the light force is overcoming the dark force. So there's this huge urge to, outrun the darkness to to get away from the 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 sort of mm, uh enveloping arms of collective or 
or the terrible mother or when any of these archetypes that you think of as suffocating or confining or, or um, in their negative aspects and to, and, to, and, to, and to run as far and as fast away from that as you can to become more fully separate and unique and individual and, um, and authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think really that's what Campbell was talking about when he said, you know, follow your bliss because bliss comes from being on that path that is truly your own. Mm. And if you're, and if you're feeling that bliss, then you know, you're on that path, you know, it's pretty simple. Oh, absolutely. And the way Joseph Campbell says it, when he talks about it in that Bill Moyers interview, I'll never forget that moment when he says that. I mean, that's like the classic line, isn't it? Mm -hmm. When you you have to, again, going back to having to like see and hear him say it, it's worth it. Just get the video just for that. I think it might be. (laughs) The way he says that it's almost like his parting gift before he dies. He totally. He says it from a place. The reason it's got so much power is because it was a man who lived that. Yeah. 150%. He was embodying that principle. Like that, I would say, was the the pearl of his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. And, and, and it just resonates. It'll just resonate for all time because he was that. And he... So it's... And, it's quoted all the time now, but I don't think a lot of people really get it to that level. It takes yeah, time. the feeling of it, the, you know, the, the yeah. concept of it sounds kind of hippie-ish or whatever, right? You know, follow your bliss or whatever, but the yeah. feeling of it, of like, I'm in my bliss, I'm in my bliss, not someone else's bliss. Not someone not, else's path, exactly. Not someone else's path. There's this unique place and time, and I found my way here and through all these winding, twisting choices that I could have, should have, and I somehow find my way here to my bliss at this moment. It's incredible to, it's, it's like, um, it's, it's, it's super, it's super imbued with grace. Like, oh my God, how did I, like, I got out of my way enough to get here, you know? I got out, I, you know, I got out from under all the social crap that's we- always weighing on me enough to get here. I, um, I, I got out of bed to get, I showed up, you know, and, I, and, and magically here I am. And it's, it's this blissful moment. And um, yeah, those are, those are really kind of like the, um, the feeling that I get, for instance, when I'm out under the night sky is like that. It's like, that's definitely part of my bliss. And it, and it's, I, it's what's kept me going as an astrologer with all the, you know, sometimes political and yeah. different crap that, you know, we have to go through being part of a community. There's always politics in every community and stuff. And it's like, oh, but yeah. that, that experience of the bliss is what keeps you going. It's like, in alchemy terms, it's the sulfur. It's the it's the soul. It's the driving force of your existence propelling you on your path. Yes, um, for me, it's authentic movement, and then also doing. Mm-hmm. On, I love researching people like Joseph Campbell and like really understanding their their life, their biography, their psychology, their their. Um, their whole influence and it's interesting I, I can't remember I haven't studied Joseph Campbell's chart in a while and I want to go back to it 
I can't remember if he actually had his Mercury in Aries. I'm sure he probably did. Um, yeah, I haven't looked at his chart for a while. Yeah, um, look, but oh. I, I've been obsessed with Vincent Van Gogh lately. Uh-huh. Yeah, super Aries. <laughs> yeah, his story. I'm obsessed with, you know, this whole, like, mystery around his death. You know how there's still, no one knows for sure if it was a suicide or if he was shot by the, that young boy. Right. And um, just so fascinated with that. Because I actually, on my plane ride back from India, I was watching the, one of those films. And then I was like, ah, I had never, you know, because I'd read things. But it was interesting to actually see it visually. I don't know if you've seen that movie that. Mm -mm. I forgot the title of it now, but it's, I think it's Love, Loving Vincent, I think it's called. Um, I will have to look for it. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's actually done up as his painting. It's interesting. It's animated, you know, so all the, all the scenes look like his painting. So wow. Yeah, no, there's a guy who pursued his authenticity at all costs. I mean, he lived like a pauper. Yeah. And, um, and was he was truly unable to do anything else but that one thing that and and in his own time he was a miserable failure in his time yes in his time and it's like the, the, what's so crazy about that is that is that you know somebody who in their time was such a miserable failure and later you know ends up being like this <laughs> what like one of the greatest painters of all time and it's like Man, I, I wonder if his soul gets, can feel that, can feel that we finally got it, you know, that he finally, oh, no. um, you know, me too. I'm sure it does somehow translate, but it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty crazy to think like that someone could be that far ahead of their time that, that nobody gets it. No, literally nobody gets it. It's so inspirational though for anyone who's struggling with really blazing their own path. I always think of Aries as the trailblazer. Mm -hmm. Anyone who struggles with feeling like, because a lot of artists and a lot of people who are really trying to be authentic, you don't have to be an artist necessarily to do that, but whoever is courageous enough to really forge their own path, often they are fraught with so many self-doubts and- mm -hmm. Oh my God, yes. So much fear and insecurity, especially if they're not making money like he wasn't. I mean, his brother was supporting him and he had so much shame about that. And um, mm -hmm. yet he was so possessed, he had to paint. And it was really, you know, came later in his life. It was like the last eight years of his life really is when he took it up. Yeah, he was just, and he just blazed with it. He so, totally blazed with it. What's so cool is that he, yeah, and that they said he actually treated it like a job, like he would get up, like he treated it like a nine to five job. He would get up, go into the field and paint every day, like clockwork. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like he just waited for the inspiration to strike. He just went, I mean, like he was obviously in, in the best way possessed, but he also showed up in that Saturnian way of like going out and, right. and, and doing the work, like showing up for being the channel. You know, mm -hmm. you know, if we think about, it's interesting, this retrograde doesn't go, doesn't retrograde back into Pisces with Mercury, it's staying in Aries, right? Right. It's interesting, though, because I'm just thinking of the, the idea of when we're, we're coming into this equinox, and we're coming, you know, this, this process that we're just, actually, we're in at the moment as we're creating this podcast, Pisces, I was just talking to one of my, men my mentor in Egypt, and she's like, you know, this is such a weird time of year always you know because we're in that whole collective you know sensitive mm. 
undifferentiated stew. I mean, these are my words I'm putting. She, but she, she had a d different way of saying it, but basically she was sure. sensitive time of Pisces where we're all just feeling that, that sort of unknown, unformed, unseen, yet completely connected to the subtle realms, you know, that, that feeling, but before taking birth, before taking our next, before coming into spring, before coming into the new, yeah, the new life. And so when we're in that darkness, you know, we're on the one hand, there's so, I mean, I always actually really love this time of year because with the Pisces, I feel it's so creative and so vast and infinite and imaginative and, you know, dreamy. And I love that, but I can also feel how, you know, how much work it is to move from that darkness into the rebirth energy that comes with the equinox and how it can really test our faith because we are in, in some ways in the darkest hours you know before we come into the the equinox so yeah there's a lot of people that struggle this time of year with um you know light deprivation and uh with seasonal affective disorder and all that so it can literally be like <clears throat> a super dark time um that that people go through you know i've been very conscious of like opening the blinds in the middle of the day my cats are like parked out there in the sun when i you know when i have to be at my desk and i can't be you know outside with them yeah um, and and getting you know sunlight for myself and everything and and yeah that that distinction between a very collective um state of being and a and a, and a very individual state of being is probably the biggest difference between Pisces and Aries, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That um, and the the weight and the the um, all of the expectations that come with a collective state of being, you know, like um, and it could be literally like. Um, a prison, right? I mean, for, for, for Aries, Pisces is the 12th house. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like hell. It's like, it's, you know, because what's the furthest you could get away from living your bliss is to be totally um, caught up in everyone else's expectations of who you should be, you know? That's and Yeah. I just want to ask, I just want to clarify, because when you say that I get two images, one, I think of the, the shadow energy of Aries being Libra as other people's expectations, the seventh house or, you know, the, that opposition. Mm -hmm. And then the twelfth house, I feel like, could be the, the undoing of the self, but it could also be like the vast, like literally going into the, the, the resourcefulness and the deepest pool of like conjuring up all those archetypes that Aries, that's why Aries is so infinitely creative because it has access to Pisces as the twelfth house. <laughs> right. We have a very maybe a four. No, I get it. I get it. And you know, it, since since my um, I, I consciously use that um, that word when I'm talking. You know, when I'm writing my horoscopes now. Oh, you know, such and such is in your twelfth house of archetypal attunement. Um, yeah, that's nice. It, it it makes it a lot it makes it easier to think of as like oh that that well from which i can draw instead of that place where i can get completely hung up you know <laughs> yeah, well, i feel like in the old text they called it the prisons and the hospitals because people didn't know how to deal with that realm yet i mean they didn't have the languaging and they didn't have the the depth of understanding of 
the mystical potential like they you know that they demonized all of that and they they were terrified of it so it was relegated to being imprisoned or making people insane because they didn't have the you know i think jung really helped break that through so before we had that language the 12th house was a very you know was considered a very negative place now i think with more wisdom and understanding we're realizing that it's if 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 people are willing to do the work of the night sea journey of traveling into the archetypes and i mean consciously not being possessed by them but working right. more consciously that and they have the creative or the spiritual outlet then it can be a, a, a can definitely be a bliss house too in a, in the in the pisces sense it can be a place where you know it, it's not of this world it's not of this realm but having access to it like you said it is about attunement it is about the real wellspring of creativity and inspiration and our connection to the divine and the gods and goddesses within so you know yeah and you can think about it in terms of instead of becoming like you said possessed by an archetype um you can become a channel for for that you can consciously choose to um you know to put aside your own ego and your own wants and say okay i'm going to allow this archetypal force to use me as an outlet yes and and to and and you know maybe that is bliss for, you know for some people and even and maybe that um maybe to some degree that is necessary for any kind of creative act you know we'd, we'd like to think that it's us that's yeah. doing the but i mean i think anybody who's ever done any kind of art or any kind of creative feels at some point that something else is in charge or or is driving the work or is or that the work is coming from someplace outside of their own ego you know that's why that's, that's yeah. bigger than them and that's what's beautiful about it absolutely and in circling back to what we were saying with the project 40 and the the planets and the archetypes deciding when we're going to do the 40 days and how <laughs> um i mean actually so this is going to be the 39th of 40 project 40s and having done so many i can attest to the fact that there's no doubt in my mind that the archetypes are deciding that the that we're just channels that that is what's happening because yeah but we can fight it or we can go with it right that's the beauty and and when and as you know too because you've done the 40 days when you're in the part of the magic of it and what brings people back to it and what a lot of people comment uh, people the feedback i get around how why it's so why it's so healing is because of the synchronicity of it because of the fact that when people are immersed in the process they do start to get that direct experience of i am just a channel and i'm showing up and when i'm open these messages these omens these signs they are coming to me and there is a dialogue happening with my unconscious and when i open up that dialogue whether it's through dreams or through journaling or through the synchronicity that happens with the messages between you know it would be our messages with with what they're living when they see that lining up and they see there's something bigger in charge of the whole process it's not about us even or about them they're like okay there is something really magical happening and because i'm attuned to this i can go really deep and i can i can download all of the wisdom of because i'm open to it 
that I feel mm -hmm. like that is the channel with the 12,000. And it's interesting because, you know, I often do readings with people in the Project 40s and more times than not, the people really that love the Project 40 have very strong 12th houses. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've had that experience myself every time at one point or another, usually multiple times for me in the P40 experience where you, you know, your email arrives and it's like, oh my God, you know, where's your, get your spy camera out of my house, you know, because <laughs> like, how did you know exactly what I was going through and exactly what I was feeling and the perfect quote and the perfect, you know, and it's like, oh. And, uh, and, and, and you go, okay, you know, like all the last few days of feeling blocked or stupid or whatever, you know, it's, it's now all worth it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's not mutually exclusive either. Like, you know, we can, of course, um, open up and be a channel for an archetype to come through and, be, and, and still have an ego and yeah. still, and still be an absolute individuated person such that that archetype comes through us in a way that it couldn't come through anyone else right so that both can be true well that's the martha graham quote like that the, the showing up i mean if you think about it is if you think about the sign of aries being you know i always think about the fact that you know if you have it if you have aries as the the ascendant for instance then it's the perfect setup you know it's like everything double right so all the it, it's like Aries kind of represents the perfect alignment of all the, the houses and the signs and everything working in its pure form, right? Mm -hmm. so in other words, it's kind of the template, you could say in a way. Yes. Right? Yeah. So if that's the case, then, and we say we've got the, the ego soul, the Aries, the, the, the first house, and then we have the 12th house is Pisces, that would be in a way, almost a visual of that Martha Graham quote of keeping the channel open. Like you yes. have to show up and it can only exist through you as who you are individually. It's, you know, and like you were, this, this might bridge the gap of like, you know, the hell, like you said, for Aries would be just falling back into Pisces and never individuating and never mm -hmm. giving that specific, never having the, giving the voice to that particular channel, never showing up as that channel. So that is the real work of Aries, I think, is to, in, in the Aries in all of us, right? I mean, to individuate, to show up as the strong, strong enough that we can contain the, the channel, that we, we, can, we can create, um, I guess, a, we're, we're a strong enough conduit, I guess, that we can channel the archetype without becoming overwhelmed or possessed by it or blocking it in some way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's it to a T. And, and, um, you know, I, I realized that at some point when I was writing my book, that that's what was happening, you know, that I, that as I showed up every day and, um, maintain my commitment to that work, that it was taking on a life of its own. And I think that's the, that's the magical, that's the beautiful part that that's the bliss of, of being creative that every artist encounters um at some point and to and to know that whoa like it's kind of magical and um um terrifying at the same time because it's like whoa like um something you know bigger than me is coming through me and then it's like oh crap you know like 
um, that's the darkness that Aries is trying to outrun, and now it's in me. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, and then it's terrifying in that sense, and it's terrifying also in the sense that, oh, like I better like keep my ego in check so I don't damn it up or screw it up, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And and uh, and then at some point you kind of have to let that stuff go and just trust that. Well, obviously this archetype chose me for a reason. And, you know, um, I can, I can just relax and, and do my thing and trust that, you know, it's going to come out the way it was supposed to. Yes. And now I, I forgot, you, were you born with Mercury and Aries? Mm-hmm. I thought so. Yes. Okay. I figured it had to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how, how have you experienced that, that combination personally, like, in terms yeah, like, because you are a writer obviously and an astrologer and mm -hmm. yeah I mean I always wanted to be a writer um ever since I was a little little kid you know I would uh with my sister um we would hike we lived on the east side of town and and we would hike all the way across to the west side of town during the summer you know and get books from the library and bring them back and that that experience of these you know, like I was into fantasy and stuff at that time. And this idea that you could create whole other worlds, mm -hmm. you know, through words was just magical and fascinating and, and like, wow, I, I'd like to do that, you know? Um, and I got some stuff published in my, um, in my high school literary journal or whatever, but I guess I was too shy or too, I was trying to be more practical. So I went to school at first to be an architect and that didn't work out but long story short yeah it was um I had to like I had to learn how to um just forget about all these what everybody else says about how you should write I had to because you know you hear people say all the time like you need to find your audience you know and you need to write for them mm -hmm. and I was like that feels utterly foreign to me. Like I write because I'm fascinated by this subject and I want to write about it. You know? yeah, yeah, I had to give awesome. myself permission to just follow that fascination and just live that bliss. Yes. You know, and, um, and, and so, you know, that's, and ultimately um, when it came to writing a book, I decided that um, I was going to write, the book that I thought the astrology community needed, not, not the one they wanted to hear, mm. but the one that they needed to hear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that would, that would be, and it was, and the, and the one that only I could write. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that, and that's, um, yeah, and so that's when I was, because I wrote several manuscripts that never, you know, that I never showed anyone. I just threw them, threw them out, because it was like, no, that's not it. Oh, wait, was this your first book then, The Mercury? Yeah, this is my first book-length work. Amazing. I love it. And so, again, the timing of doing this, it's perfect. So you are definitely a, a conduit and a spokesperson for Mercury. He's chosen you. There's no doubt. Yeah, you know it's pretty wild. I was at the Soda Conference um, last fall, and uh, we were doing this thing 
I had done it before when I was at Project Hindsight, but in, um, the Persian word for it is al-mubtaz. Um, you're probably more familiar with hearing it in its Latinized form where the, the classical astrologers talk about, well, what is the al-mutin of the figure? You know, al-mutin, right? Um, <laughs> but the per I like the Persian word, al-mubtaz. It means the winner. And long story short, it's like you go through all these complicated formulas to figure out what planet has the most dignities in various places, like what planet, like all of these factors in your chart, what planet like rules those places where these different factors are. Hmm. When you figure it all out, my album of Taz, the winner is Mercury. There you go. And I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> no wonder I wrote a book on Mercury, right? Mine must be Saturn because I keep coming back to that, like you know. Saturn sisters. Yeah, it's it's and it's not it's not a conscious choice. It's not that I ever I never think consciously like I would like to devote my life's work to Saturn, but I keep everything I do gets pulled in by Saturn. Even Project Forty Alchemy is Saturn rule, Saturn and Mercury. It's probably a combo. Yeah, I think Jung said that Mercury was, of course, very central to the whole process. You know, Mercury as an alchemical concept is like the weaver. It's like the two of pentacles, that idea of like juggling, of weaving opposing principles together. Because that. Mercury is, all of the other planets are like decidedly imbalanced in some way or another. They're like, you know, they're either cold or they're hot or they're dry or they're moist. Mercury's right in the middle. He's not, he's able to do all of those things. So whether you have the sun and the moon or Jupiter and Saturn or um, Venus and Mars, any pair of opposites that you wanna think about, Mercury's in the perfect place to go, okay, let's take a little bit of your hot, put it over here and a little bit of your moist and put it over here. And now we've got something that we can, you know, we can make some taffy. We can start mm -hmm. playing around and um, yeah. and creating something new out of that combination, you know? Well, and Mercury is the magician archetype, so he always knows how to create the magic. He's, he's definitely part of the alchemical process. He's the magician. And we also, before we run out of time, we wanted to get into the, the archetypal influence of the emperor, since it's going to be Aries. Right. Yeah. If you look at that card, it's usually got the ram's horns on the on the throne and everything. Yeah. Yep. The ram's and it's the, the sun's exaltation. Yep. So. My astrology teacher used to call Edwin Steinbrecher, Steinbrecher, he said Aries is the architect of the universe, which I thought was funny that you went to architecture school first. Hmm. <laughs> the universe, huh? Architect of the universe, yeah. But the yeah, the father archetype, the emperor, the inner father. So we will be talking a lot about that in the forty days. Father complexes. <laughs> Ooh, do I have to have one? You don't have to, but I imagine with all your Aries, that's probably somewhere in the mix. <laughs> I don't think have a lot of plans in Aries about having a father complex. I, I want I I, I spent about the last 18 years pretending like I didn't have one and I recently got back in touch with it so I guess I'll probably have plenty to to share great with everybody yeah I mean I think I think we all have a father complex I mean Jung and Joseph Campbell, we all have fathers yeah yeah I think our whole civilization has a father complex and <laughs> right 
and we all have a mother complex. So yeah, some of these myths with the fathers, I mean, like yeah. it's crazy stuff, right? There's so many. Which is your favorite? Um, I like Jason for, I think Liz Green in her book, she talks about Jason, you know, um, the overthrowing of the unjust or the, um, uh, what do you, what's the word, the usurper king, you know, who took Jason's throne and he went on this voyage with the Argonauts to get the golden fleece and, and get his, um, and get his, um, thrown back, you know, and then, um, but didn't he end up marrying Medea? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm so bad with detail. Like for a Jungian, I'm awful with, that's my, my weakness. <laughs> like some of the myths I really like, the ones that are like in my body, I can, I could probably still scrub the details, but I definitely. Yeah, so there's. That one there's I, a, I don't have is, is close to home, so you'll have to fill in the details. There's a kind of a dark side with that one too, that we should, acknowledge um but the one that i saw coming up this time through the astrology is um mercury does these three alignments and they all happen in about the same degrees so he has this thing called the maximum elongation which is just his highest and brightest appearance mm -hmm. above the western horizon then he has this conjunction with the sun in the middle of the retrograde and then he has this um I should say he or she because Mercury is totally androgynous. Yeah. Um, it, if we must, um, I don't want to neuter it either, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I can just alternate between he and she maybe. But And then she does this wonderful high bright appearance in the east in the morning, all in the same degrees. And the degrees are in this star that's called um, Alderaman. It's the alpha star of um, this constellation, Cepheus, the king. Mm. Um, who was king of Ethiopia. Um, and there's actually this incredible complex of constellations in this part of the sky where you've got Cepheus and his wife Cassiopeia, the king and queen of Ethiopia, their daughter Andromeda, um, and then there's this beast, this watery beast of the, um, like the Kraken. <clears throat> You know, release the Kraken, right? the sea monster, Cetus. And then there's uh, Perseus, the hero. Okay. Um, and, you know, long story short, um, Cepheus was kind of a king who um, preached something of uh, independence from the gods. He's like, yeah, you know, we spend all this time praying to the gods for this or that, but maybe if we took more responsibility for our own lives, then we wouldn't need to pray to the gods so much. Mm. Um, and then now, of course, this is somewhat patriarchal in the sense that the women end up being the bad guy in this part of the story. His queen, uh, Cassiopeia, says, yeah, and besides, um, my daughter and I are more beautiful than the sea nymphs anyways. And so, like, you know, we don't need them or something to that effect, you know, and uh, Poseidon says, aha, hubris, the worst of all human sins, must be punished. So he sends this sea monster to ravage Ethiopia. And then here's where the whole collective thing versus the individual thing comes in. So, so there's this monster tearing up the land because of what this individual action of hubris 
and and so um, Cepheus goes to the oracle and he says, "What what shall I do?" And he says, "Well, there's only one way you can get rid of this monster, and that's to sacrifice your daughter." <clears throat> and so there's this big outcry from the people of Ethiopia, from the collective. You know, you must do this to save us. Mm. And you know, you would think at this point, you would think that the 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 human thing to do that a father would say no no I'll sacrifice myself to this beast and surely the blood of a king will will satisfy or something to that effect but he's but no he just says yeah okay chain her to a rock and uh <laughs> you know it's like wait what yeah, right? she's called the chained woman Andromeda they chain her to a rock and the, right. okay beast you know have at it and um and then uh, Perseus just happens to be coming by and says, oh, a beautiful maiden in distress. And I just happen to have the head of Medusa that I recently cut off and it turns things to stone. So have that beast. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he turns the beast to stone and he, he and Andromeda live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the central conflict in the story for me is like, um, this idea of the chains being put on this innocent girl, yeah. Yeah. young woman, yeah. for the sins of the mother and the father, mm-hmm. you know, uh-huh. and 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 the and the idea that the that you know he had to sacrifice his daughter because of the outcry from the collective from the, you know, so there's this collective that, you know. Um, call for some kind of justice or atonement that that the individual then has to pay for. Yeah, and the feminine, especially like now, the, the there's the uprising though of the feminine that was chained to the rock, going, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not going to play that story anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, remember Damon Wayans back in the day? Um, what was it, Homie the Clown? Yeah. It's like, homie, don't play that shit. (laughs) It's like the women are like, homie, don't play that shit no more. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. So it's, um, it's really interesting how that dialogue between the collective and the individual and the expectations of doing these monstrous things, like who was really the monster in that story? Was it the father that was willing to sacrifice the, you know, there's a lot of. Um, well, the patriarchy is definitely constantly sacrificing. Right. And I. Inner feminine is is completely brutalized. They don't realize. They think that they don't realize there's a they they have an inner female. I think if they realize that they would not treat. You know, they would would have more consciousness about the way they're treating nature, women. Yeah, and at the same time, I think if people were um, understood that you know, the, that all of us men are, were raised by a culture with certain expectations of, you know, you don't cry, you, you man up, you go to work every day and you provide and all this stuff. And, 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 and like, um, what it means to man up versus, versus to really grow into the, the healthy masculine, the empowered masculine. Yeah, and, and it's like, th- so these cultural scripts mm. can become things that we get possessed by too, right? They they are like the archetypes that we can become possessed by them. Yeah. 
and they are living us instead of us you know, instead of living through us they're we're being lived by them yes and wow you know i just got chills gary thinking about this upcoming retrograde being a potential of becoming conscious of these masculine scripts with mercury retrograde and aries looking at the dialogue with our inner father inner masculine inner, inner patriarchal upbringing all of us and mm -hmm. retrogrades are a time of rewriting a script this could be a really maybe this is going to be a big part of our work together yeah i have some direct experience from that i've been back in touch with my old man um recently <laughs> um so i've definitely got some fuel for to throw on that fire um Great. not necessarily any answers but plenty of questions so well, that, that's what we do on the project board is we really live the questions so um and like i said i never know what they're bringing until we do them which is the the magic of them just like that's how we approach union sessions we don't come with an agenda ever because the unconscious knows what, what what's up um so as we're talking things are coming to me that are really inspiring and like wow i can see we're going to be doing some really deep work yeah for sure and it seems like a huge co synchronicity with like you said as you know this um all of the you know this this terrible father this usurper uh, right in the jason myth yes. you know that, that that um that you know don't have to look very far to see that one um <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and um, Cepheus is kind of a different version of that. Um, and, uh, and as you said, like this idea of like blaming the woman and chaining her to the rock and like, you know, making her be, you know, kind of, you know, uh, what's, what am I trying to say, you know, bear the burden or be, you know, putting it all on her back, you know, um, and women finally standing up and saying, I don't think so. You know, it seems like um, all of this is perfect. You know, like it's a huge stew right now. And I think a lot of people are responding by like pointing the finger and doing a lot of blaming of, of uh, people. But I think that, you know, for me, um, I, I go like who, like who in the world having grown up with all of this could be expected not to have gotten overwhelmed by some of this and lived some of this unconsciously. Yeah, absolutely. I can't, I can't imagine how any of us could have. And so, you know, for me, it's like, um, you know, it's like a bunch of like, we're all, you know, a bunch of, um, you know, prisoners or revolutionaries trying to get free from the same prison you know i feel i feel total solidarity with the women at the same time yeah um, I, at the same time i feel like yeah, yeah i mean th that stuff you want to get free of too i totally want freedom from it as well yeah, yeah i think that's an important piece of it and let's not forget i mean I, we're running out of time but i don't want us to leave without saying that um Noted, noting that during this retrograde, a couple of things. One, we're going to be having these, these walkouts with the guns, which is very Aries, Mars, and, um, you know, to try to reform the gun, this, this whole tragedy. This 
complete fiasco with with the current situation in the United States with guns. And also um, Mars is going to be exalted during this retrograde since the Mercury retrograde is going to be answering to Mars and Capricorn. And out of bounds, Shireen. Oh God, that's right. Yeah. Yes. That's huge. That's huge. Right. Yeah. I was going to, I had meant to say something about that and you just reminded me because yeah. Yeah, planets tend to be out of bounds when they're near the solstice points. And and you know what? This is only just his first little excursion out of bounds. I say little because when he goes retrograde later this summer, he's going to go super out of bounds, like super far out of bounds. So it's like it's like how we handle this first out of bounds is going to is like if we're able to not completely lose our minds. Yeah, I know. With that one, we've got a lot better chance handling the one later this summer. Well, it makes sense that we're coming together to Mars kids here, Mars world children coming together to try to work this out <laughs> yeah maybe mercury can help us to uh mercury's the mediator of the underworld right yeah to to keep you know from getting uh uh completely possessed by mars you know yeah that's a good point that's a really good point and and to give a voice to all this mars energy mercury wants to obviously give a voice i think there's going to be a lot more outcries a lot more really powerful speeches like the one we had from emma gonzalez there's going to be more of that going on I'm sure so it's, it's very exciting I mean I feel very I, I feel so many things as this is coming up but I know it's going to be a really really powerful journey and I'm so grateful that we're going to be we're going to have the sacred container of the project 40 together to do that work during that time I can't imagine going through that this this mercury retrograde without it now that we're talking about it <laughs> <laughs> right. right i know yeah i'm really happy that i uh somehow cleared some space for it and yeah, and and happened to be in that graceful moment of bliss yeah. here with with um you know with you in the sacred space i mean yeah it's very fortunate to, to have that vehicle um as a um as a way to to work with this you know and that's the whole thing it's like you know that i tell people all the time and that's like really the essence of the gift of p40 is like look you can sit around and worry about and 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 stress and blame and you know people blame don't just blame each other all the time they're blaming like the gods you know and it's like wait what um like you can sit there and say oh you know mercury's doing this or that to me yeah or Exactly. Right. And be passively, you know, like this, you know, person victim, or you can say, Hey, I'm going to enter the sacred space. I'm going to show up like, like Van Gogh did every day for 40 days. And I'm going to do the work and I'm going to be, I'm going to live the transit. Um, yes. And to me, like, I will always choose the latter, man. Oh, that's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you, Gary. You're welcome. And to be continued, please join us. We'll have more details um, and registration should be up in the next couple days um, and we'll keep you posted. And this is just the beginning. So Aries love the beginning, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, thanks. Thanks again so much for your time. And, um, and we'll probably be back with an update with a, with a follow-up on the other side, huh? Ah, oh, for sure. Okay, cool. Sure. Awesome. Thanks again, Gary. You're welcome. Thank you.